Future CEOs, Big Brand CEO Thursdays. So you want to be a CEO? Sure, go ahead, read your ABCs of managing book. Or if you really want to be a CEO, then keep on listening to this Future CEOs podcast with your host, Gareth Armstrong, as he gets you up close and personal with real-world CEOs, thought leaders, and industry experts to learn from their experiences and the insight and wisdom they've gained while leading in these challenging and ever-changing times. Are you ready? Then let's do this. Hello and welcome to Future CEOs. My name is Gareth Armstrong. A short while ago, I had the pleasure of sitting with Anthony Farr, the CEO of the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation. Now, many of you may be familiar with the Alan Gray brand, which is a big player in the investment space, both here in South Africa and abroad. The Alan Gray Orbis Foundation is then the philanthropic and social investment arm of that organization. And they too are a very impressive organization and are engaged in giving back in a way that really speaks to the Alan Gray view of investing, which is looking at the big picture with long-term returns in mind. I really enjoyed this conversation. Anthony is a phenomenal individual, and I hope you take from it as much as I have. Here he is. Anthony Farr, CEO of the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation. Welcome to Future CEOs. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So, would you mind just um, giving us a little or a brief overview of what the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation does and, and maybe a little bit of how you got involved? Sure. So, the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation's mission is to create a future cohort of high-impact, responsible entrepreneurs for the future, for the common good of South Africa. We see the unacceptable levels of unemployment in this country and the our assessment of, of the response to that is to, to develop entrepreneurship. And I think everyone uh, sees that as, as one of the answers to, to our challenges. But we've taken a slightly unusual approach to that in that in typical Alan Gray style, we've taken a very long-term approach to this challenge and effectively are, are nurturing and growing these young future entrepreneurs from a very early stage. Uh, some of our youngest beneficiaries we would identify the end of primary school. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, into high school. Our main program is at university. and uh, But even the university is just the first few years of a lifetime journey with these individuals, which includes uh, developing their, their skills, their network, their capacity, their education through a whole suite of different interventions. And ultimately, there's a, a specially established fund that will uh, be able to, to provide funding for viable business ideas that come out of this group. So we have just over 600 in this pipeline, and, and we really look forward to them changing the face of the country in the years to come. Fantastic. Uh, let me jump in here quickly. Uh, there are going to be some people that hear that, some of our listeners, and they think, wow, I'd really like to be involved. How do you go about to, um, with your selection process? Excellent. So there are two uh, selection points. The one is for, for the younger ones into high school. So they would be applying in their grade six year. Okay. And the, the applications uh, are actually around about now. So they've got... The, the, uh, in any one year, it's basically around the end of September, end of October that uh, that is the deadline for for that scholarship application. And then what we call the Alan Gray Fellowship is at university. Uh, that happens earlier in the year. So uh, the main people applying would be those in their matric year, uh, and they would need to apply uh, by the end of April of of their matric year uh, for for this opportunity. 
and they can go on the website, alangrayorbis.org, and everything is there for, for them to look at. Okay. Is it based generally, or are selections generally based around academic criteria, or is there a combination of elements that you look at? Yeah, so we... Both of those programs, the scholarship and the fellowship, are, are located in an educational context. So they have to be, there has to be academic strength for, for these individuals to survive at, at really good high schools and sure. also to get through their university degrees. But, but it's not an academic award in the sense we are looking for future potential entrepreneurs. And so we have a, a number of criteria, five in fact, at the fellowship level, things like personal initiative, uh, courageous commitment, achievement, excellence, uh, intellectual imagination. Those are the, the type of things that we're looking for. So it, it is a combination. We're not really here to talk about the Alan Gray Orbis <laughs> Foundation, though. We're actually here oh, to dear. talk about you and your journey. Um, so let, let me kick off with a, a, an interesting question, and we, we've had some interesting answers to this uh, question. And, and, and so, Anthony, what does it take to be a CEO? It's a great question. I think the reality is as a CEO, you have overall responsibility for, for the entire organization uh, that you're leading. So there needs to be a fundamental commitment and conviction to, to the cause of, of, of the business that you're working in uh, because it is going to take all of who you are. I think I would subscribe to the notion of uh, example leadership, and you know, so it's not just who you are nine to five; it's it's who you are as a person. How, and and therefore there has to be a complete alignment with uh, with the organisation that you're working at and the values that you hold, and 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 so that's that's what it takes is to really understand the the extent of the commitment and the extent of the alignment that I think there needs to be between yourself and the organization, particularly if you seeing yourself as an example leader, leader by example. Mm-hmm. So you, you're talking about a values alignment. You're talking about an alignment perhaps of vision and aspirations. You're working for a very interesting organization. Can you talk us through some of the or some of your journey and the, the way your values developed and then how they align with the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation? So I had a very traditional start in terms of my, my journey. went to one of the good schools in, in Cape Town, uh, traveled a few hundred meters up the hill to, to UCT after that uh, and did a business science. At that stage was very interested in finance and accounting and so qualified as a as a chartered accountant. Uh, and then the first few years uh, post articles were at Standard Bank in in London doing corporate finance. Okay. Uh, that was that was the career I was following. And I think my influence at that stage, to be honest, had uh, had come from family, particularly my father. Uh, he had been working at a, a big company, in fact, a shipping company, Saf Marine. Okay, uh, yes. ended up being listed through Rennies, and and he ended up being the the CEO of, of that company, so I think there was an aspiration on, on my behalf to to follow that path and 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 had a great role model in, in the way that he conducted uh, himself with with his business. Uh, but then something shifted quite dramatically in, in my case, in that I became increasingly aware of the orphan crisis in in South Africa, and I happened to be seconded by Standard Bank back to Johannesburg and. During that time, became aware of the extent of of the orphan crisis in in this country, and by visiting one of the local orphanages, left 
that afternoon just really convinced of two things. Firstly, I convinced myself before that that it was very difficult for me as a merchant banker to get involved in this sort of issue. I wasn't a doctor, I wasn't psycho psychologically trained, but yet having interacted with the real coalface of this issue, the children themselves realized that, that, that one could make a difference. But secondly, and perhaps more importantly, just saw the extent of the, the challenge. We, you know, how could South Africa be a great nation, which is what, what I was hoping to, to contribute towards if two million children didn't know what it meant to, to have a mother or father. And so that led to a change uh, into the philanthropic sector. Um, ultimately, with a group of other people, we launched uh, an organization called the Starfish Foundation. And I suppose that in, in response to your question, I think for me, my work has to have meaning, uh, and and not not and that doesn't mean that everyone needs to go into the philanthropic sector. I think there's meaning in every aspect of of society, but but my particular passion and need intersected around uh, that particular issue at the time, uh, the Starfish Foundation, and then. To just to finish the story, a few years later, uh, was approached by by Mr. Gray, who I think uh, was attracted by the combination of someone that had financial training in 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 the area that he he was uh, comfortable in, as well as someone that had now spent the last few years uh, in the social sector, and and so he started to paint the vision of of the foundation, and I, I, I found it to be a very compelling one, and was was very excited to to get involved. It seems that a lot of the time uh, people think that to be involved in this kind of area, the philanthropic area or even CSI type of um, uh, careers, you, it's all about the fluff. But really what you've, you've highlighted here is that there is definitely a need uh, for not only trained professionals but then also those who are trained in business to get involved. Uh, have you seen... Um, have you in your in your career as you have now pulled people into this foundation into this organization have you seen that that is a necessary skill that uh, people should be trained on when they get involved in in this kind of thing yeah i think well firstly let's say that sometimes the the distinction is is a false one in terms of um, particularly the say the social sector and the business sector, because I think as we move forward increasingly when we look at issues of sustainability and the environment and all of those things um, you know, the, the, there 's going to be a blurring of of that distinction, so I think more and more that uh, that is going to happen in fact, and part of it is also realizing that um, uh, you know, my belief is that business should exist for a purpose, and that purpose should be more than just the profit that they're pursuing. Obviously, it has to be profitable, otherwise it's not going to exist. But exactly. And in fact, we, we have the Alan Gray, uh, Alan Gray Center for Values-Based Leadership, which is exactly that at the at UCT Graduate School of Business, which is about businesses pursuing purpose. But uh, I think the, the main point is that uh, you know, if, if one uses that word fluff, there was a sense that the that the social sector might have been a second cousin in, in, relative to business in terms sure. of how they went about things. Uh, and, and, and my view is that you know, those things are, are too important not to be done well. And, and therefore, there has to be a, a sense of excellence, a sense of professionalism in, in all aspects, whether it's business or, or social sector, because essentially we're all working in different ways uh, and, and playing our own roles in, in, in building the country that we need in, in the future. So you've transferred from being very technically orientated, Standard Bank and so on, moving into an area that, as you've described, sometimes is considered a second cousin, but really spearheading 
the movement into creating a, or, or creating a different perception around that. What are some mistakes that you have made as you have done that and some of the lessons that you've learned on that journey from, from technical to really a leader in many, many ways? In terms of mistakes, I think the, the mistake that most people would reflect on most is about people. And so I think you know, we all learn over time that we can't achieve much on our own. And it's really about uh, building the right teams to, to achieve uh, the, the goals that we're pursuing, finding people that are aligned to that goals, that have the skills um, and, and the passion to, to do that. And I think uh, if I reflect on some of the biggest mistakes, it would be around bringing the wrong person into the team at the wrong time. And often you, you're aware of it uh, at the time. There's a, there's a sense of something that is disconnected and, and yet you, you convince yourself that this can work and, and you push through and, and you reap the consequences. So I'd have to say that those people mistakes are probably the, the, the biggest ones that, that come to mind. Mm-hmm. How do you go about appointing people? So there will be those who are in a position where they now are attempting to employ some individuals to grow their businesses perhaps or departments. What are some of the key things for you um, in terms of employment and, and appointment? Yeah, It's easy to be quite generic in, in a conversation like this. Clearly, there needs to be a base level of competence that they they, they are suited to the role. Sure. But but having said that, and and again, it's almost a cliche. But but I I going back to to the earlier comments on on purpose that you're really looking for someone that's aligned to uh, to the mission and and the and the vision of of the organisation. I think more and more, um, if you read the literature around the the um, the nature of the employment relationship is changing. It's it's not so much a the, the employee beholden to the organization there's more of a partnership and alliance between uh, the organization and the individual and you're looking for that that common ground because actually unless there is that commonality of purpose you're not going to get the the discretionary effort of that individual and as we move into this hyper competitive situation if you if you if you're not accessing that that discretionary effort of your team that extra 10% that extra 10% makes all the difference so so therefore in terms of issues around employment it really would be around finding that 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 fit um you know what, what, who does who is that person what do they want to do and 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 does that align um, to, to the organization. And then lastly, uh, the, the, the issue would be around character and, and teachability, that, that there's the right character and, and also that, that they have a, a sense of self-awareness that, that will allow them to learn. I think if there's, if there's that teachability, I'd, I'd much rather support and back someone like that than someone who, who thinks they know something. You know, you're never going to learn something that you think you know already, and that's a great, uh, great challenge. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Okay, thank you. That's a very good point. Let's ask this question. In your view, what don't leadership and management books teach about becoming or being a CEO? So many of our listeners are voracious readers. They, they really are trying to upskill themselves. But uh, they're reading these books, and sometimes these books don't really guide us in the right direction. In your view, what aren't these books teaching? I think the, the answer to that is really the... The reality that as as much as an influence as the CEO has, you've really got to have created a context, a, a, a culture in the organization where everyone is, is aligned. And I think um, I've 
been surprised. You know, we, we have a very clear vision. We can set up very clear strategic objectives. You can have all of the, the stuff in place, but yet um, the, 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 the misalignment happens very easily and very quickly. So I've, I think the, the thing that, that maybe is missing in, in, in the, the academic or, or, or book world of, of, of leadership is just the, the complexity of, of life and that, that actually if, if one's not talking to people the whole time, if there's not a constant reminder of actually what we're doing, why we're doing it, just little shifts in, in, in how things happen can, can have an incredible sh- um, impact. I mean, one example from the foundation is that we're looking to grow these, these future entrepreneurs uh, that have high impact. Obviously, leadership's a key component of that. Um, we're also starting with them when they're very young. Um, and so, you know, we didn't want to, to kind of overplay um, the fact that if you're not an entrepreneur, you, you're kind of not good enough, as it were, because that will only be decided years in, in the future. So we're looking for your potential, but... Uh, but but as a result of that, we started doing more and more stuff around leadership, <laughs> and suddenly you kind of realise that there are actually people in our organisation, despite what our ultimate goal was, that that actually if you had to have a conversation with them, would would be talking about growing leaders, and and you know that, that whole notion of of actually the, the ultimate vision had had kind of been diluted slightly, and that. And I mean that sounds like ridiculous. You know, how can that happen? But actually, it's 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 just a small example of how just without that constant sense of alignment and 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 realizing how the default is actually to to drift, and and there has to be such intentionality around and and almost it feels artificial in a sense in terms of keeping people aligned to exactly what you're trying to do. No, no, I like that. There a constant focus, a constant discipline. Uh, and constant reminder to individuals. As you said, there is a natural uh, inclination towards drifting, sometimes toward innovation, um, which is a great word or it's a nice buzzword, but um, when you're trying to achieve something as an organization, that's not always the way to go, especially when you have a very specific mandate or a very specific goal. Your biggest light bulb moment as you transitioned from being, again, technical mm. to being a leader or a CEO, what was that biggest light bulb or aha moment for you? I'd have to say that the biggest moment for me in that transition was realizing that, and this might sound obvious, but, but that I wouldn't be able to, to achieve and be as successful in that role without the guidance of mentors and, and other people. Um, uh, I think you know. I initially thought that I could do it myself. I thought you know, you it's fine. You committed. You're going to work very hard, and and yet, um, I, I've realised that you know, that that if one takes that view and, and closes one's openness to to advice and input from people, um, you, you're going to make mistakes that you could otherwise avoid. I think I was you know, in terms of a a light bulb moment. I, I came across a. Um, a statement by an individual called Annie Stanley that says you, you will never you will never realize your full potential without coaching and mentoring okay, and, and, I, and I think that that struck home for me and so I you know, have a at a peer level I have a, a group of uh, four or five other CEOs that we meet with monthly and discuss issues both work and personal and and and, and um, there are um, other individuals sort of 
even international thought leaders um, around entrepreneurship that I make a point of of, of, of spending time with and coming to with um, with serious issues. Uh, I've mentioned my father already, um, Alan himself. Just the opportunity to to learn from him so consistently over the last few years has, has profoundly um, changed uh, how I see things and how I do things. So. In an interview I did a, a few days ago, the uh, the CEO that I was interviewing there, and he, he emphasized this point on an ongoing basis throughout the conversation. He said, you you really are the average, uh, I've heard it, also I've heard it say you're the sum <laughs> of the five people that you spend the most time with. Yeah. I think uh, that's what I'm hearing you say here as yeah, well. Yeah. And I'm um, adding a sort of a vertical dimension to that. Yeah. Sure, sure, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so please finish the sentence uh, for us. As a CEO, my highest priority every day is to ensure. Again, it's maybe like your previous uh, interview. It's, it's going to sound um, the same, but I, I think the the most important contribution that I can make on a daily basis is to is to ensure that that everyone's on the same page around the vision and and to be communicating that on a regular basis. That you know, I think if. And, and I suppose maybe to, to extend that further, I think it's really kind of giving people clarity around how they are contributing to that, what if there are things that are, are preventing them from, from moving forward in that. So you know, I think the, the highest priority in any particular day is to, is to kind of move people the next step forward in, in terms of what we are trying to achieve in terms of the vision and, and make sure that there's absolute clarity around that. Mm. It sounds pretty mundane and simple but that's um, that's that in at the end result that's that's what we the organizations built to do no certainly not mundane i wouldn't use that word i think that uh, and even simple is not not the right word because it's not a simple process but it's very pointed and, and that's very important that that there is a, a very specific something that you do every day uh, and so yeah thank you for sharing that Anthony, what's the best advice you've ever received? So you've spoken about these mentors that you have, uh, th- these relationships that you have. Maybe you've received a lot of a lot of good advice. What's the best advice you've ever received? I think the the best um, advice I've received would be around the importance of one's reputation and, and integrity. Um, I think it's it's very. Uh, seductive at times to 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 look at doing things that will accelerate particular aspect of growth or that might be and and I think um, I think yeah I mean that's that well quoted statement around you know, it takes a lifetime to build up a reputation mm. and a moment to, to lose it and I think mm. that but just to kind of have that front and center has has been very helpful to me and it's kind of something that in in particularly in the younger years that you kind of don't fully appreciate that you actually in a sense, almost anything else is irrelevant compared to to your reputation and, and your integrity and and and, and how you, you you go about things. And I, I, a small example of that is, it was a number of years after being at the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation, having a discussion with Alan about you know what, why he had sort of made contact um, mm-hmm. around the, the the foundation and and one of the things he pointed out was that on the website. There, there was a listing of all, all the, the trustees of, of the Starfish Foundation and there was you know, some great people and there were long lists of of achievements and everything that the accolades had done. And he said that the, uh, the, the, the reference, um, the biography for myself was just kind of two or three short lines and, and he had been really struck by that in terms of just that 
and and I mean, I, one would never have imagined that something as sort of small as as that would would actually result in in the greatest opportunity of my career. Mm. No, that's a very very um, important point. I think, especially when we're young, we are trying to find our place in the world, certainly, and often we think that that needs to be, or our place needs to be found with accolades being shouted from rooftops and from mountaintops. But yeah, in this particular instance, that didn't get you. That didn't <laughs> win the other people favors, and in fact, the the other approach helped you. Helped you. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. that. That's a very nice example. So, what one habit do you attribute your success to then? I was really struck uh, in the last few years by an approach uh, to productivity called um, getting things done. Mm. Um, I'm sure people are, are well aware of it. GTD is it sort of sometimes um, David Allen is the, the kind of individual behind it. And mm. and one of the, the the key things that he talks about is that actually our our, our brain is, is, is an incredible organ for creativity and for thinking, um, but it's actually a, a, it's incredibly badly designed as a repository and then a kind of a storer of information. Okay. Um, and actually, the, you know, the best thing you can do is get all that stuff out of your brain into a trusted system mm. so that you know that that to-do list or all of the things that you need to do have been captured and, and it just then gives your your brain the freedom and the margin to, to kind of do what it's best designed to be which is creative and 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 so on so interesting and one of his philosophies is in in all of these things it's it's really about crystallizing what's the next action and so there can be an incredibly complex situation or or project or or strategy that's one pursuing and 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 often that can be almost debilitating because you're kind of not sure what to do next Mm. and you kind of also feel that you need to understand how the whole thing is going to un- unfold, and obviously there needs to be some sort of plan and those sorts of things. But, but there's incredible power in just identifying what's the next thing mm. I'm going to do with this. What's the next thing I need to do with that? Whether it's a phone call or whether it's just to write down a particular document or whatever it is. And, and I think um, getting into that habit um, over the last few years has, uh, I think, really helped to to remain consistent in one's effectiveness and, and productivity. So uh, do you keep a journal? Um, I, I, I do. Um, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Evernote. I don't know if you've oh, yes, heard I know of Evernote. Evernote yes. It's just a, sort of your – so it's a, it's a virtual um, um, journal, but it's just you can throw everything in there, and it's kind of amazing. It kind of becomes very fertile for going back to different – pieces of research you might have done or mm. thoughts you might have had a few uh, months ago and, and to really kind of revisit that and mm. so that uh, and I think um, yeah that that I mean, what you're raising is that that, that question of reflection and um, I think that's um, as you would have noted from my habit that that's that's almost um, what I would see as is, is one of my weaknesses is is not reflecting enough. So mm-hmm. there's a, a, a more execution driven than than kind of reflection, and you kind of you need both. And I need to remind myself more to to be more reflective more often. Mm, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> the CEO of Obami, which is a e-learning platform mm. that's making headlines around the world, Barbara Mellinson, she's the CEO there, and. Now, she said to me, because I asked, there's a question that we're going to get to, which is uh, around books that um, we should be reading. And, and she said, you know, 
actually what you should be doing is you should be writing your own book. Because really what that does is it allows you time to reflect. It allows yeah. you time to, to, to look back and then also to look forward yeah. as you are progressing in your career, which is quite interesting as well. A nice, a nice thought. Absolutely. What are your three pillars of CEO leadership? If you were to bring it all down to three different things, you've mentioned some, some things that are probably mm. going to come up again. Mm. But what would you say your three pillars are? There, there are three aspects, and it's probably rather simplistic in a sense, but you can't get away from from being the vision caster. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to – people have to be excited about being in the organization. They have to feel that there's something that they are contributing in the, to the world that, that no one else is doing. And, and the CEO, for right or wrong, is, is the primary vision caster mm-hmm. of, of that. And so I think that's a, that's a key pillar. And if that's not happening, I think it's uh, – it, it, It'll slowly wind down in terms of the uh, um, impact of, of that particular organization, the growth. Uh, may, may I jump in there and just sure. interrogate that for a moment? Sure, please. Uh, how, do you, how do you go about instilling a vision within someone? Is it about storytelling? Is it about uh, just going into a room and, and together working a vision a document up together? What, what's, what way do you prescribe doing that? Yeah, I think the... The point is that it has to be done um, incredibly frequently. Uh, we'd spoken about before how mm. easy it is for people to lose that sense. And so I think the, the, at an at a organizational level, it's, it's important that, um, that there are regular opportunities, whether it's quarterly updates or at inductions, that, that, that the stories are told. You know, mm. Why does this organization exist? There's a, in our case, there's, a, there's an amazing letter that, that Alan wrote in 1984 mm. to, to the then um, finance department, basically offering 20% of, of Alan Gray at that time to support black enterprise. Mm. And, um, and it's kind of part of our history that there was you know, way before any thoughts of broad-based economics, way before apartheid was even finished. Yeah, mm. was... Alan Gray Investment Council, as it was known, wanting to give 20% of its shareholding yeah, um, to, to black enterprise. So just as soon as you share that story, show the document, um, you kind of enter into a whole new space of of that this is something that, that was always intended. It's not something that's been built out of compliance. It's something that, that really is at the heart of who Alan is and the contribution he wanted to make in the world from from all those years ago. Mm. So it's those type of things. I think there are um, lots of opportunities, and and I've been quite challenged recently that by by the fact that um, if as a leader you you don't have your uh, a blog, you actually you've lost the most powerful opportunity for 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 sharing vision and understanding and and getting the ethos of the organisation together. And and I, I initially I rejected that. I thought that was just people that were more orientated to that sort of thing but i'm having this year for the first year maintained uh, a blog for 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 this year i'm beginning to understand that actually that's probably right that it's an extraordinarily powerful tool that that many uh, people neglect and it feeds into the whole question of social media is another way of 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 using it and that wouldn't have existed um um even a few years ago but if you if you can do that successfully, um, you know, the, 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 the opportunities that that unlocks to, to, to share what the organization is actually about is, is, is extraordinary. Uh, and then I think it is just also the, the one-on-one time. Um, so there's no – I don't think there's a silver bullet for this. It's really kind of a, a consistent, multifaceted 
um, casting of the vision and keeping people excited as to actually this is something I really want to be a part of. Mm. Oh, lovely. So what I took from that is that you're going to be blogging about this conversation. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that's the first We've got point. it on record now. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So that's your first pillar, vision, mm-hmm. to be able to con- continually infuse the vision into the organization. Of, and when we mm-hmm. say organization, really the people in the organization, the, the, really the lifeblood. Mm-hmm. Pillar number one, vision. Pillar number two and three. Yeah. The pillar number two would be, I mean, it's not unrelated to vision, but it's, 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 it's about communication. And particularly as the organization becomes more complicated and larger, that communication is, is seen as a sort of a central competence almost of of the of the CEO that they and and I, I, it's not something that that comes naturally to to me but that the the more there there's sort of free flowing communication that you've kind of created opportunities for for that communication for people to understand what other other parts of of the organisation are involved in we at times have been quite bad at that at the, at the foundation and so just to kind of really continue to um, create those opportunities for communication and some some of that communication is the vision piece but other other times it's just kind of what's happening why things mm. are happening kind of just really and the blog would probably sort of fall into both as well as another sure. tool for for that so yeah so communication would be the second and i think the last one would back be back to our conversation around integrity i think you know whatever you do um or whatever you say if it's not reflected by what you actually do you know that, that you know that there's no there's no way of overcoming that the the quote that comes to mind is what you do speak so loudly i can't hear the words you have to say absolutely uh-huh. in your view what should future ceos be studying over and above their formal qualifications, so you'll get your BSc, your BCom, that kind of thing that, that mm. perhaps many will be studying. And then there are those who are a little bit more advanced who will be pursuing uh, maybe an MBA. Mm. Over and above that, though, what, what should they be studying to really be successful as they transition into a leadership role or into the role of a CEO? Yeah. I think they have to be almost insatiably curious. I think the the level of... of and the rate at which things are changing at the moment just demands that they're basically almost the, the moment they they leave the steps of the institution they've just graduated from, much of what they've learned is already out of out of date. So, mm. so I I would really suggest that they. I mean, I can't give a prescriptive answer in terms of it would be dependent on on the sorts of industry that they're involved in and what their interests are, but that sure. they would really be. Um, ferocious in in their consumption of information around whatever area it would be, whether it's again the, the sort of blogs in that area, whether it's books that that are, are particularly autobiographies. I think that the learning that can come from reading other people. So you don't, you know, there's many forms of mentorship. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a physical coffee with someone once a month. It can be reading that person, someone that you've never met, book, and can have as much influence on you as 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 a as a physical relationship um, nice. and and so i remember a conversation recently with a um, another entrepreneur and he, his comment was that it was at the time that steve jobs's autobiography came out mm. 
And he went as far as saying, if if the and this was only like a few weeks after the book had been released, yeah. and his comment was, if if there's in this case an entrepreneur out there that hasn't read that book by now, I'd question how serious they are about their pursuit of of entrepreneurship, because here you have a once in a lifetime opportunity of access to probably the greatest entrepreneur of the last few decades, mm-hmm. and you're letting it sit on the shelf mm-hmm. and, and not point. harnessing that for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, and 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 obviously there's a whole new world that's opening up now with these free online courses and uh, I, you know, I really um, yeah, I don't think you can over uh, overlearn <laughs> in, mm. in, 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 in the way that, that, that things are, are changing and, and because actually it's not you know, the, it's those sort of, when we spoke about that shift from technical understanding to, um, to more leadership and other things and that, that technical understanding is is becoming obsolete so quickly that you mm. have to keep um, informing yourself of, of these other things. Yeah, I, and uh, what's interesting, and it comes up time and time again, vision, of course, comes up time and time again in these interviews that we're mm. doing. And, uh, well, I don't know of any organization that sits you down and says, well, here are the ABCs of how to instill with, within an individual enthusiasm around a particular vision. Mm. I mean, it doesn't happen. So... Uh, as you say, there certainly must be this ongoing uh, learning in mu- and multifaceted learning. Mm. Te- technical uh, expertise is just one part of the puzzle. Mm. What um, books would you recommend for you to see as read? I know you've said, well, perhaps it, it really comes down to the uh, individual's interests and so on. But what, what books have stood out for you? What, what books have really helped you? You've spoken about the Steve Jobs uh, mm. autobiography. Are, are there others? Yeah, the the base book I would recommend, and it's one that we basically ensure that every person entering the foundation reads and actually does the, there's a course attached to it, is the Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. And I think it just, you know, it's it's at a base level, um, but I think that those underlying principles are very hard to beat in, in terms of, again, it goes back to having your own personal mission, starting with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the balance of your own uh, sharpening the saw, making sure that you're learning all all, all of those things. So, yeah, just to us is the the best packaging of 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 that sort of human effectiveness. Um, that uh, so I'd, I'd really highly encourage that as as a book. And then I think as a as a business or uh, uh, an organisation, we've also been influenced by by the work of Jim Collins. Mm. Um, I mean, I suppose those are two. Obvious ones, but I, I think it's very difficult to um, to move too far away from those principles of of, of good to great, mm-hmm. and uh, just and that's really how we see the work that we do. That we have a very clear focus, and we just want to keep that flywheel spinning until it's having a, a level of impact that's that's difficult to imagine right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Okay, very nice. Those are great recommendations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We're coming to the end of our conversation. Maybe just one or two more questions. And let's begin with this really interesting one. If you could go back in time and speak to the ambitious executive you, uh, a 20-year-old, what would you say to yourself? The, the message that, that, that I would have is to really, and I suppose the, the one-line summary of that message would be around focus. And uh, I think if I had known more that you know, there are just a couple of things that you just want to do absolutely brilliantly, there are a couple of areas that you want to focus in on and really have understanding about. I think that just saves 
so much wasted effort in terms of feeling that you've you've got to kind of have this sort of generic understanding of everything. And and I think the more I see things, the more you know, each one of us is crafted around certain things that we absolutely uh, are designed to do and mm. made for. And the more that we can firstly understand that, so that you can't, uh, the challenge is you can't focus until you know who and what you are. So mm. so maybe that would be the first piece of advice is to kind of really uh, dig deep in terms of understanding you know, what, where's, what's the what's the contribution that you're going to make. But then then to to really be be quite brutal around that that focus, and it probably goes against. Um, uh, what, what other people might think in terms of being, you know, being this all rounder and being kind of, but I, I, my, my advice to myself would have been, um, you know, pick the one thing you want to hit as hard as possible and, and become the, the, the best in the world at, at that. Mm. No, no, very nice. Uh, are there any tools that you have used that you've found effective to do that, that you wouldn't mind sharing? Or maybe even an, an example from your, your life where you weren't as focused as you should have been and, mm. and that, uh, cost you some time yeah well, the first answer to the tools is to go back to to i think covey's a great word it's a great place to start because okay. it, it, it kind of you know it forces you to to get that personal mission statement up and running to mm. understand what your personal values are oh, i think that those sorts of tools because like, again it started from that very first question it's really all of the stuff is an outworking of who you are mm. and and if that if that's not understood then you just you're tinkering on the surface. You're not actually changing things fundamentally. Uh, and I think on the Jim Collins side, he's got something called the hedgehog concept. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, of course, that's three different things that come together. And at the epicenter, that's really what you probably should be focusing on, whether you like it or not, <laughs> yeah. um, which is also interesting. Uh, and then maybe an example from from your life where the, there wasn't that focus and you there was a little bit of maybe time cost yeah, uh, I think um, maybe an example. It's probably not a great example, but just from from the starfish days. Uh, so it gone into that sector, and and yet there was you know there's so much temptation actually. Then to you know, I suppose it was a new industry. I'd kind of come out of banking and was now in in in, in a different sector. But mm. you kind of. Um, are in attending a lot of conferences or uh, engaging with a lot of people around a lot of different things to um, that are broadly related to to the orphan crisis. But mm-hmm. I, I really, I think at that stage, I didn't have a clear enough sense of of you know what what what's the real contribution that 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 can be made that that I want to become and understand better than than, than anyone else. And and then and I think it, it sort of manifested in in a in a in a sense of even. Organizationally, Starfish didn't have as much clarity as it perhaps should have in terms of what particular programs it would or wouldn't support. It became a more generic, uh, at that point, uh, support of, of the orphans rather than understanding what, what the, the kind of critical thing was. Are you almost talking about focusing on a niche within a niche, if we could phrase it that way? Yeah, I think it's just. I mean, and in this case, it's not. It, it is. It is. I mean, I, I suppose what I've described is that. But it's it, that makes it sound more. Um, you know, the point is that this, you know, the the social sector broadly around children is 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 a universe in itself. Absolutely. So yeah. and so so even though you could fool yourself quite easily that actually well that's what I'm focused on. Mm. The point is that that is so broad, so um, that you that you you're not going to kind of. Get to a depth of understanding of, of of a particular aspect. So it is a it is a niche, but I, I think it's also 
Yeah, I suppose it's not to the extent of you actually there's one tiny little thing that, that, that you do that, that sort of could become obsolescent mm, in, in sure. a year or two. Okay, so, okay yeah, I hear yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. All right, that's very important. <laughs> Anthony Farr, the CEO of the Ellen Gray Orbis Foundation. It's been a, a really, really good conversation. Thank you for sharing with us. Are there any last words that you would like to share with uh, our future CEOs community and listeners? Firstly, I really want to, to commend all of you out there that, that are determined to, to, to make an impact, that you're really wanting to become the best of, of who you are. Uh, and I really, really want to encourage that. Our country needs uh, the sort of leaders, the sort of skills that, that you've dreamed of, of creating for yourselves. My, my only advice is let your purpose be about something greater than yourself, particularly even this notion of a CEO. Don't even think about the title. Just think about how you can make the greatest impact. And you know, I think one of the biggest learnings that, that, that I've had over these last few years is that if uh, the, the satisfaction and the reward that you get from pursuing something greater than yourself is, is infinitely more than the, the, the benefit you'd ever get from, from something that was driven more purely by, by self-interest. Anthony, thank you very much. It really has been a pleasure. And uh, we wish you and the foundation all the best. Thank you very much. That was Anthony Farr, the CEO of the Ellen Gray Orbis Foundation. If you would like to make contact with them, you can find their details on the summary page on our website. I'm Gareth Armstrong. I'll be with you again tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today on Future CEOs. And we hope you're feeling inspired and ready to take action. Head over to future-ceos.com for show summaries, recaps, articles, and other resources aimed at fast-tracking your rise to CEO status. To make it even easier for you, simply sign up for our weekly newsletter, and we'll keep you up to date on all interviews, special guest appearances, new developments, and more.